0: I'll do it. I've been meaning to do this, but it would be cool on the button, like, you know, strings. Dramatic music today Listen, on RMA. If you could,
1: if you could articulate this desire yeah. to me yes. with an example of the music, then I could add it.
0: Okay. I know exactly Just what- Just do that. Okay. Richard Serrett's uh, podcast, he he does it. It's really cool. Is this um, P-
1: DRM free? Is
0: it copyrighted? I don't know. See, f- because these are things one must consider. I'm sure there's you know music. There's loops you can get from uh, GarageBand that sound like it. You know, oh, yeah. Like, no problem. We don't want to get banned from no. Apple. No you know, over, Boy. you know, over it all. Yeah. Um, yeah. So no, I can't believe we made it. Um, I mean, I can, because you know, this is what we do. This is what we do. We had a snowstorm ish. Um, schools are canceled. My children are home. My wife is home. <laughs> that's why we're here and we are <laughs> at the studio. I, um, couldn't believe I, you know, when I woke up this
1: morning and I saw like eight inches out, out the back window, you're like, Jesus, <laughs> that's gonna hurt. <laughs> Uh, i saw eight inches out the back window it was my reflection no um i couldn't i was like oh shit we're never going to be able to make it into the studio uh to record because it's going to take me hours
0: to get out of the driveway Mm -hmm. and and then i went outside and i was like oh this is not much not much at all and uh, i had a brilliant idea because i was like oh how am i going to dig out and and you know get there. And then I'm talking to Mike and I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> Can't you just pick me up? <laughs> now, there's your brilliant idea.
1: Brilliant. Four wheel drive, Toyota 4Runner. I love Great it. Great car. Very fancy. Very I,
0: schmancy.
1: I remember the days um, before the not drinking part of my life where I would have to lay in an awful lot of wine the night before
0: a, a predicted snowstorm. Mm. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that because I'm um, talking to, on the Inner Sanctum with some of the monksters. I think it came up about you know we're talking about the snowstorm and then it reminded me that snowstorms were like the time for me to get totally fucked up and uh, it was like I looked forward same thing with hurricanes you know this is the time to like right because everybody else is like also
1: yeah. hey it's you know it's it's a natural disaster let's yeah. get drunk let's you know. <laughs> let's
0: join this natural disaster yeah. let's, with our personal disaster. <laughs> Put them all together. Uh, Yeah. So... Are we starting? And we're back. Welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages, the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads and their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. I'm Nat X. And I'm Mike R. And boy, do we have a show for you today on RMA. As the snow begins to coat the north shore of Long Island and all the little boys and girls staying home from school search the house feverishly for their mittens and knit cap, racing towards the nearest hill with sled in hand and dreaming... The snow days would never end. But we don't take snow days here at RMA. Quite the contrary. We've got a big show planned for today. We're discussing the new documentary on HBO called Life of Crime. And we catch up on, you know, how we did for New Year's Eve uh, and all that kind of stuff. All this today and more on a very special snow day edition of RMA. You wrote that last night as the snow was still falling. I can tell. I did. I did. I, uh,
1: it took me about 25 minutes to get one child dressed this morning. Cause yeah. speaking of finding mittens and hats and all that, you know, no one's looked for them in year, year. years. <laughs> and the last I saw the gloves, the dogs were running around the house with them. So, you know, wow. finding them was always uh, was a are, challenge.
0: Listen, I love dogs and I would never insult a man's puppies. But my dogs are assholes. They're kind of dicks. <laughs> they really, you know, they really are. Every time I go there, they act like I don't. You know, they're screaming at me. They like want to kill me.
1: They're undisciplined little ungrateful small
0: dogs. You know, they're annoying, but I love them anyway. Um Oh wait, before you do this part, my wife says we got to cut this Patreon shit at the beginning. She's like, just get to the damn show. Well, I've heard that too. Okay, so maybe we don't do the Listen, entire thing. That just I wrote.
1: um. This episode is brought to you by Recovering the Middle Ages Patreon. Uh, You guys know what Patreon is, right? It it helps support uh, artists with a a small monthly stipend so we can keep the lights on. So if you go to our uh, link in the show notes to the Patreon page, you can find out what's available there. Uh, You can, you'll get, we recorded a show, an extra show this week. We
0: do extra video shows. The reason I want to talk about it is I'm fucking so excited about this and maybe that's that's on me a little bit. I'm very excited. All the stuff that's happening. Yeah. So. And I want everybody on there. Um, so we put up an extra show. So if you're on the Patreon, you can
1: you can check that out. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we also have a Discord server, and that's fun. That's what like is a, Discord, anyway? I don't know. The kids use it for the video gaming. Yeah. But uh, apparently, it's also tied up. With Patreon, because you can go on there and it's like you can have private chats and yes. all this kind of fun
0: stuff. It's totally secure, totally private, just for the yeah. Patron Monsters. We call it the Inner Sanctum. Um, I've been chatting with uh, the Monsters on there all last night. I'm like constantly on there. You are constantly um, on there. Those guys are like helping me with the show, helping us with the show, and uh, it's fun. It's fun. So join us at We should be paying them. Patreon.com/slash/recovery <laughs> in the Middle Ages. Yeah. Um, so. Welcome to all the new listeners. Welcome to all the monsters listening, stateside, around the world, down the street, across the table, and right next door. Welcome all. Settle in, buckle up, and get ready for excitement, comedy, tragedy, intrigue, mystery, and so much more. Before we go on, yes.
1: I think we need to congratulate two very special monsters on their second sober anniversaries. Yay! Uh, oh, should I do that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, when Dave on Dopey does this, it sounds so canned to me because yes, I, like, I, I know it, what it's all about. Um, anyway, so Cody Larson and TJ Vasquez. Uh, TJ is coming up on the on the 9th of January, followed by Cody on the 11th. These guys are uh, pretty amazing. They're, they're, they participate a lot in our Facebook group, and they're also founders of the Sober Soldiers Recovery Community. That word is inimitable. I know, and I I chose not to pronounce it. I like that word. It's okay. It means
0: it's like so good, it's imitatable or something. Inimitable, sorry.
1: So Soldiers is spelled S-O-L-D-I-E-R-Z. So if you're looking for these guys, you should check them out at SoberSoldiers, one word, dot com, or search Facebook for their support community of about 3,000 plus members. Um, It's a faith-based nonprofit recovery group based in Des Moines, Iowa, and uh, I've... I've relayed my story about Des Moines, Iowa yeah. to the, in the past. So uh, they are a, and this is a quote from their uh, materials, they are a full circle healing sober support system. It's a lot of alliteration. I like, I like it. That works with mixed family dynamics who are seeking stronger relationship with God. They started it because they got sick of NA and AA during COVID and started their own thing. What can I And that's what we're all about here, which is thriving online and in person, and it's amazing.
0: And it's a podcast. Yeah, I'm sorry I haven't gotten like into it. I've been meaning to. I really want to hear this podcast. And um, I I have no excuse for not listening to it. But they do amazing stuff. I mean, just the pictures, TJ. Yeah, they had a big like Thanksgiving dinner for everybody. I mean, it's it's awesome. It's like a dream of mine to have something like that. So way to go. I mean, that's amazing. And
1: you know me, I'm not. You know, I'm never like one to thump the Bible, but. You know, these guys,
0: it's working for them. And if that's your flavor, you should definitely look them up. Um, They got a Facebook uh, discussion group. Um, Just look up Sober Soldiers, S-O-L-D-E-I-R-Z, on Facebook. And it's SoberSoldiers.com. So congratulations. Yeah, congratulations, guys. Cody and TJ. That's thanks. awesome. And uh, thanks for participating in our community. Yeah. So happy to have you. Yeah. Uh, but where should they find us? Mike, they can find us at the newly redesigned
1: middle ages, com website, uh, where you can listen to episodes by merchandise, et cetera. You can also find us on Podbean, apple podcast, YouTube, and more. Um, we I think eventually Nat if I'm not mistaken we're going to be producing some videos to drop in the regular Facebook
0: or YouTube, YouTube right? Yeah, on now YouTube. that Mike is getting into videos and stuff and we're doing more of it. I'm getting more comfortable with myself on video. I don't know if you guys have seen me on video. I'm just all over the place. I I don't have a brain for like the camera. I just I'm Everywhere, because your man in constant motion. I know, <laughs> I, and I, I hate watching myself. Just so, sit on your hands. Listen, I'm working <laughs> on it. Okay, because I watch it, I'm like, Jesus, that guy won't stop moving, and it's me. <laughs> so we're working on that. Yeah, and uh, it'll be cool. Uh,
1: so while you're at our website, you could uh, leave us a review. I mean, I'm sorry. While you're at our website, you can input your story into the newly redesigned Your Story section. Yeah, that's yeah. That's actually right?
0: It's, a, it's on the top menu. It's on the top. Along with um, a link to uh, SoberLiningsPlaybook.com. Oh, yeah, where Grant
1: uh, uh, yeah. B's outfit where he aggregates all of the recovery news stories. Yeah. And you guys should check that. So out.
0: this is a partnership that's going to move forward. Um, and we're very excited about it. So check it all out. Yes. And please. of course,
1: at the end of the day, if you want to Grow the RMA movement, share the show with a friend, a confidant, someone in your recovery circles. Uh, If you get something out of it, um, you know, help us help more people. I love listening to you read my schlocky marketing copy.
0: It's (laughs) It's my favorite. Well, (laughs) I I try and
1: arrange it a little bit in my brain because I I feel funny, like sounding like. Yeah. You know, I'm a Andy game Grace show host.
0: Is, right? uh, <laughs> you know. I know. I I my tongue is firmly planted in my cheek when I uh, do the Sharky marketing copy. I hope you know that. All right. right. So we got a review this What what, else, what do we got here? We got a review this week and we also got a Patreon email. Okay. Do we have any uh, voicemails? No, not this week. All right. Well, let's just um let's just say that call our hotline at 518-888-6297 that's. or at, or at 516 Did I say 518? Yes. Uh, You'll get somebody in Albany if you call 518. 516-888-6297. And leave us a cool message about who you are, what you do, what you feel about the show if you want. Um, And maybe we'll play it. It'd be great to hear from you. We've got RMA recovery meetings through the private group. Yes. Uh, Check them out. Join the
1: Facebook group, guys. I mean, you know, there's like 6,000 people on the Facebook page, but only a few hundred on the Facebook group but growing five, like 570 or something. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's where a lot of fun happens anyway. So can I read the review? Yeah, let's get to the review. All right. I want to read the review because I, I was going back and forth with this guy on the email a little bit. Yeah. Um, this is another five star review from Apple podcasts by EJJ 76, who also has a name, hmm. which I should have written down anyway. Uh, like many who started drinking in their early, here it is. By the way, thank you. Here it is. Like many who started drinking in their early teens, I've struggled with alcohol addiction all of my adult life. After a series of failed attempts at sobriety, the pandemic forced the issue. My career came to a screeching halt, and I found myself face to face with an unexpected retirement at 62. The prospect of having all the time in the world to drink was frightening, but I decided that this time was going to be my time. I vowed not to waste the rest of my life getting wasted. January 6, 2021, Yesterday would be a year for this fellow. Wow. Yes. Congrats, guys. was Congrats. my last drink, and thankfully, I discovered recovery in the Middle Ages a month later. Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> Nat and Mike, first gift to me was to turn me on to Annie Grace's book, This Naked Mind, mm-hmm. uh, which redefined my relationship with ethanol and provided me a roadmap to living without it. I was never interested in AA, so RMA became the weekly leg up that I needed in those first difficult months. Just two suburban guys like me in recovery trying to keep all the balls in the air while keeping the demons at bay. Uh, I was drawn in by their charm, <laughs> humor, and well-spoken intellect. That, that must be directed at me. Yes, yes,
0: yes. <laughs> uh, for most likely.
1: And identified with their tales of excess. I survived the sex, drugs, and rock and roll of the late 70s and early 80s and have stories of my own, after all. Uh, as RMA has matured and grown, so has my sobriety. The book reviews, interviews, and explorations of recovery topics... Have been invaluable to my own journey. Ending almost fifty years of addiction is a daunting task, and I need all the help I can get. As we enter 2022, I'm grateful for my life and my family, and reflect on my many friends who tragically didn't make it this far. And you'll like this next part, Nat. Okay. To quote the movie Blade Runner: yes. "The light that burns twice as bright burns half as
0: long." Was that from the first Blade Runner? I the- don't remember that, but my wife read this and she goes, "Bad. This is like your dream, you know, friend right here." <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah.
1: With grateful anticipation, I look forward to the continued support of RMA and its like-minded Patri- uh, Facebook
0: and Patreon family. Um, yeah, that's Evan. Evan that, Evan, that is so great to yes. hear. You, you don't know what this does. And he's a Patreon. For me, yeah. And he's a Patriot? Uh, pa- pa- he may be a Patriot, but he's um, definitely a Patreon. Thank you so much for supporting Remember. us. We're, we're tickled. That we can uh, help you in your recovery. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I said that's that. tickled. I'm tickled, but yeah. thank you, thank you, thank you. Look forward to talking to you on Discord and um, getting to know you a bit. By but the way, I think Evan was having trouble getting on
1: Discord, and I yeah. I copied you on an email I sent back to him saying I'm copying Nat on this because he'll I'm going to put our
0: best minds on it. So uh, did you did you get the email? I'm pretty sure I did. Okay, I think. And I, uh, Evan, let me know if I didn't. <laughs> so i can help you. Okay. And um we got a patreon email. Mm-hmm. So guys, when we we can also get messages through Patreon and uh those go straight to us a little quicker. So i'd like to read this one. Um oh, and the you, the person is Talawa Talawamama. Awatagus i am. <laughs> 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 okay. Uh they say, thanks Nat uh, because I had said, like, welcome or something. She's, uh, he says, or she, I don't remember. Damn. Oh, Dre. This is Dre. Oh, it's a, it's a girl, a woman, because I mistakenly said him. In any case, so Dre. She says, thanks, Nat. I'm stoked to start interacting with the RMA community. I did figure out the Discord. Okay, okay, fine. I asked my 13-year-old to help me. And... I'm about to head over there and poke around in the channels. My username is Tala Wamama. A few bits about me to hopefully forge an initial connection. I live an hour northeast of the... Oh, she uses the word inimitable. That's where you got it. That is. (laughs) Now I know why I use that. Thank Uh you. I live... I'm very impressionable. I live uh, an hour northeast of the inimitable Grant Boykin in Grass Valley, California. However, I have family in Massapequa. Massapequa. So I love... Catching the Long Island inflections. I don't have an accent. What Long Island inflections? In the dialogue between yourself and Mike, I have four children, God bless you, ages 20, 17, twin 13-year-olds, my God, and a marriage of 22 years, which is braggable, and work more than a full-time job running school breakfast and lunch program at an elementary school. The RMA podcast is perfect for my 5 a.m. prep in the kitchen. Each episode brings up some good nuggets for self-reflection or goals for growth, along with the reminder that I'm not actually alone. You guys totally get it. Awesome. Uh, my path has been super alt-recovery. Former garage, uh, garage, former <laughs> garbage head, then overused cannabis and psychedelics, and finally committed to full recovery and stopped drinking alcohol and started really doing the work in November 2019. Mm. I still feel, feel weird saying I'm sober, especially because I drink two cups of coffee every single day. And what is that if not a mind mood-altering substance. Yeah, but coffee makes you human. But <laughs> I couldn't right. stop. But I can't, yeah, <laughs> I can't function without coffee. Yeah. Uh, so maybe I'll step aside from the caffeine next. Right. I feel really grateful to be here in the Inner Sanctum, and I'm looking forward to making some lasting connections. Thanks so much for making all the great content and working so hard to set up so many opportunities to build bridges for a recovery network for all of us in the RMA crew. Love Dre.
1: What, a, what a lovely note. Yeah, I, lo- yes. I
0: love the monsters. They're always smart and like write well and use big words correctly and they're nice and I love it. That's
1: great. I love you guys. You know, uh,
0: before I forget, did you ever have any uh,
1: slogan when you had a hangover? I was, I'm still thinking of the snow thing. Like, like my friends and I would, if, if we would wake up after a particularly rough night, you'd be like, Hey, how you doing? You know, Harry, uh, wake and, and, bake or and something. Harry would be like, um, my head hurts, my feet stink and I don't love Jesus.
0: You ever have anything <laughs> no, like that? I no. love it
1: though. Yeah. It was a code for like, I'm suffering from a wretched, horrible hangover.
0: I don't know why ah, that just popped in my head. I like that. Yeah. Uh, next time I get a hangover, I'm going to use well, it. Well, yeah, hopefully we have to use that. Um, now it's time for, did you come up with music for this segment yet? Well, okay.
1: I thought we were going to be videoing this, so I was going to drop it in. But okay. I can still drop it in. Okay. If, it, if you hear music now, that means I dropped it in. Okay.
0: Now it's time for Monster Speaks. Um, what kind of music? I don't know. are the.
1: Producer, yeah, but listen. When I picked that Christmas music, which I thought was a little funky and
0: offbeat, you were like, like, "That's the worst thing I've ever heard in my life." It was just so loud, maybe I don't know. We'll we'll think of something. Okay, Uh, so I once in a while in the Facebook private group I post like I don't know a thought experiment, something to think about, recovery related. Yeah, and this was kind of funny because. I have these this bag of recovery topic chips. You do right, and they're very bleached with the with the AA yes, fucking <laughs> logo. On. Look, it was the first one I found on Amazon search. Yeah. Uh, in any case, so um, they're kind of these antiquated uh, AA uh, sayings and things. So I wrote here uh, random recovery question ship of the week. It was supposed to be chip. What'd Would you write? Uh, ship 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 of the week well because we're sailing into a, a the fellowship horizon of new knowledge so i picked the uh, the chip says fellowship and i write <laughs> how does fellowship figure into your recovery i know i get a lot of fellowship out of you guys in our discussion groups and zoom meetings what about you and for the record the fellowship is not a notically themed gay bar in greenwich village yeah Thank you. <laughs> you didn't deserve that. No, I'm. Sorry.
1: <laughs> what ha- you asked me last night for a, a funny intersection of New York City streets that you could drop into that joke, and I sent you. I know the very I, real. It was like
0: coming and fucking. It was something. It was weird. the
1: corner of Seaman and Cummings, which I, which is a street that exists, an intersection that exists
0: in Inwood, and Alan will attest to that it, since he lives up there. So the reason I didn't, because I was writing that joke, and um, I don't know. I just, that was a joke. yeah well you know mostly it's a half a joke okay i wanted it i don't know the cadence of what you sent me didn't work with the timing plus it is a little more filthy even though it's an actual street corner yeah but it it wouldn't be a place you'd put a gay greenwich village was on the beat that i was going with it was in the rhythm but i mean has
1: greenwich village been like the the center the epicenter of gay culture like forever like is it still i don't know i don't don't go to any bars there anymore any gay monsters want to weigh in
0: on that one just drop me a note So, (laughs) Kelly C., and uh, there's some controversy here, as they say, across the pond, uh, with the chip that I use. Kelly C. writes, I'm new to the group, (laughs) but I've been listening to the podcast for a while now, and the level of relatability recently gave me enough encouragement to take the step to tell a very close friend that I intended to quit drinking. Accountability. And coming out of the closet. Speaking of gay, I found it (laughs) funny. Okay. Well, coming out of the closet is, I mean... For drinking? I think it's for drinking. Okay. Um, I found it funny, not funny, that my proclamation that drinking was problematic for me, and that I wanted to stop, was met with responses like, quote, you don't need to do that, and just quit for 30 days again. Again. Mm -hmm. Uh, That being said, fellowship to me, at this very early stage, means that there are other humans out there who understand, empathize, and won't discount how I feel about alcohol simply... Because the substance doesn't affect them in the same way it does me, I'm looking forward to participating in this group and learning some tools to navigate through what is somewhat uncharted territory for me. Thanks, Casey. Welcome to the group. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Um,
1: so fellowship for her is other people who are nonjudgmental and will you know, support her in her quest to remain alcohol free. Mm. I like that. That's a good, that's a good definition of fellowship. So Allie DP, hyphen P responded to Kelly C by saying, uh, Kelly C, welcome. Being honest about alcohol makes people uncomfortable. It does. It Mm. really does. Maybe because it has the effect of people questioning their own intake. That's exactly it. Mm -hmm. I think Uh, it's become so woven into our social fabric that many can't fathom giving it up. Thankfully, the numbers of sober curious and those abstaining are increasing, along with a lot of N.A. options, non-alcohol options. Right.
0: And then my inimitable partner, (laughs) there's
1: that word again, Here it is. uh, responded. Oh, do you want me to read it? Okay. Fellowship is one of those words from the 1930s that A.A. likes to use to cement its place as the most anachronistic uh, recovery modality in the modern era. That might be a little strong. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm like, I'm just trying to get people to talk about <laughs> But nobody was, nobody was
1: biting on your chip, Ugh, so to speak. That's true. You bet so, you bite a chip and you didn't. Fellowship reminds me of hobbits trudging to Mount Doom <laughs> with the one true ring. It conjures up images of elk's, elk club socials and the raccoon lodge. Now, if there's a chip in that bag labeled companionship, camaraderie, or mutual support, that would remind me. <laughs> The opposite of addiction is connection, Then, and if I'm being honest with myself, I need the occasional company of other folks who have walked this path to make my life and my recovery complete and remind me that my struggles are
0: not as unique as I think they are. What a smart guy. That what a is. smart... You know, you over, uh, yes, very good. So I read that, Thank I'm, like, you. I'm like, what the fuck is Mike doing with my post that's just supposed to be, you know, getting people saying nice things about being together. So, I'm but sorry. You, you made a good point, though, and it got, a dis- it got a discussion going, and I'm, I'm happy for it because it's important. Allie DP responds to you. She says, it's funny how language conjures up different pictures in our minds. When I hear fellowship, I think church. Hmm. I don't think of, of sobriety groups. Uh, because maybe I've never been to an, to AA, I do know that groups like this one have meant everything to me on this journey. I don't know if I'd be alcohol free without them. It's so comforting knowing none of us is unique uh, in this struggle. Uh, I've hopefully hopefully made some lifelong friends and confidants. Aside from that, so much support from the thousands of people across the groups. Uh, there's no doubt. Connection is the key. Maybe addiction to alcohol was put on my path to teach me just that. Otherwise, I may have continued down the path of, quote, I should be strong enough to handle things on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you very much. And let me just say a, a note about grammar. Um, I, <laughs> really? One of the things my <laughs> father has always beat into my head is I used to say, um, uh, none of us are. I would say none of us are having a good time. And he always, always stopped me and said, none of us is. And you did it in this. And it reminded me that because none of us is like saying, not one of us. So none of us And you claim to have no
1: childhood trauma?
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like I said, most of the trauma I suffered as a child was grammatical and musical in nature. Um, Did I say that? Did I say is? No, uh, Allie did. Oh, okay. She's the one with proper grammar. Good for her. So my father would be proud. Um, Melissa M. writes, when I hear fellowship, I get the same visceral introvert reaction that I do when I hear icebreaker activity, <laughs> group project and collaboration. I love it. Which is, oh boy, here we go again. Don't these people know I work better on my own? I'm with Mike. Mutual support or camaraderie feels much better. And then I wrote back, okay, so point taken. I will get some less <laughs> antiquated recovery chips. And now let's all hold hands and say the Our Father. Smiley, happy, laughy face, right? Because
1: that's, you don't actually mean that. No. Um, Good point, though, because there are introverts for whom recovery meetings are excruciating.
0: Right, but that doesn't mean they shouldn't try and do, like the whole point of recovery
1: is coming out of your shell and doing something you don't normally do. If you were an extrovert and I told you you have to shut up and not say anything for an hour and sit in a room, you know, you would be like, F you, man. My nature is to be outgoing. I think so. why, Why are introverts always have to be
0: pulled into like the world of the extrovert? Well, here's what I think I think in a room full of extroverts and introverts the extroverts should come toward the middle and the so should the introvert so the extrovert should calm down shut up and listen a little bit and the introvert should speak up a little bit but not either one being extreme I don't know how Boom. about how about just um just do your I mean, own it's, thing. It's, it's hard enough to like to quit using a
1: substance without also having to basically alter your personality at the same quit time you. um I mean Yeah, changes obviously need to be made when you're quitting drinking or whatever. But,
0: uh, you know, a lot of people find it terrifying, the idea of speaking up in a group. Well, I know that. And part of the reason why I think I'm pushing this, um, our community so hard on Facebook and Discord, is because it's a place to be comfortable um, doing this. It's like you can kind of participate as much or as little as you want and still get something out of it. And if you want the face to face. Yeah. Well.
1: The face-to-face on Zoom, we yeah. have we offer that on yeah every Sunday, Sunday morning's at eleven thirty a.m. Eastern. Yeah,
0: write us for details. Yes, and, we'll send uh, you the secret yeah. codes. Absolutely. Um, it's snowing. We've already said that um, school is canceled. Um, yes, my kids are home. The uh, wife is home from work, and your family, I presume. Is also home? My family is home. My
1: son was up and out the door at 9 a.m. knocking on his little friend's door up the street to see if he wanted to go uh, sledding or whatever. Billy? Not that friend. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, we try and... We, we've been trying to... Yeah. yeah. Um, another friend yeah. up the street whose parents moved here last year during the pandemic. They were one of the people that came out from the city, bought a house, and are mm. kind of like... Yeah. You know, we get a lot of those. Yeah. But... Uh, yeah, and then my other two kids are sleeping, my wife is up, maybe she's getting caught up on the latest episodes of RMA, which apparently she was doing yesterday. She was sitting in her car at the supermarket listening to to
0: episodes of RMA. I think our wives are talking about it, because my wife is doing the same thing. She hmm. was behind, and now she's cap- catching up and giving me show notes, which I appreciate that okay. she listens, um, but the big news in our life update is we had New Year's Eve, and um, Oh yeah, that happened last week. Didn't it, it seems like a thousand years ago, right? but um, New Year's Eve is a big deal for us monsters because you know it's for obvious reasons. Culturally, this is the drinking day. Historically, for most of us, this is the day we got the most blotto. Right, and um, and so these days, now that we're sort of separated from that a little bit, there's still you know you're dealing with the social pressures and you know the thoughts and all of that. And so how, like, how is it for you? I know you haven't had a problem like this in a while, but it still comes up, right? It comes up. But I mean, we're in the middle of this COVID thing.
1: So like, even even people that had plans, like don't have plans. Like nobody's ever really inviting us out for New Year's Eve. We're just not I Social would. like that? <laughs> I
0: don't know. Well, if there was no COVID, we we would do a yes. thing like yes. you know at eight o'clock you
1: do the ball or something. Yeah, we we could we totally could have done that, but it but it was weird this year. We we had Christmas Eve right, and everybody we was we was with
0: we was I was with. your father going to think about that? <laughs> He's
1: everybody we were with on Christmas Eve and ended up getting COVID except us. Wow. So. My wife is like, we gave everyone COVID. And I'm like, <laughs> no. I mean, they left the house. They went out no, and did things. That show. was God that gave you COVID. We, we got tested. Me, Ben, and Jack got tested two days before Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. And we were fine. And Erin did a home test. She was fine. So I don't think it was us. But mm. um, so, like so New Year's Eve was not going to be like a go out and do stuff. Right. Midnight. So we were in bed by like 10 o'clock. I think Ben stayed up till midnight, the youngest mm-hmm. child. But the rest of us were out. Although somebody was lighting off. The most aggressive fireworks. I know who it was, probably Billy. Really? Because they were like mortars. <laughs> no, I, <didn't> <laughs> I mean I mean I just yeah. I thought I thought it was an invasion. It was so loud. It was like right outside the window. But we I have a guy who lives across the street who runs his own like landscaping business. And much to my irritation in the summertime, he's got like nine trucks and a hundred guys. Is that Antonio
0: with the yes. blue jeep? I love that guy. Yeah, he's all right. But he you know. used to work at the deli next door when I was a kid, when me and my father would go to the park to play tennis or something. On the way back, we'd stop at that deli and he was working and he was the nicest guy. Yeah, he's a
1: super nice guy. Like, but yeah. he's also running a business out of his house across the street. Yeah, yeah. So. Just, I remember So. I I think I I think he was the one with the big booms, whatever. But um, I I yeah, we a, did nothing. Well, and, nor did a, I feel compelled to drink or anything. No, not at all.
0: It was just like another night. Yeah. Um, no FOMO. Sorry. I, I love this kind of New Year's Eve. Um, this was like a dream New Year's Eve for me because um, my youngest was old enough to stay up. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't pass out, and we were all together. And, uh, and we just like, and we did this thing where I think we got, uh, sushi, if I remember correctly, awesome. uh, in, and, um, you know, my wife is like, okay, no phones or video game, or we played a video game, but together, but like, you know, we're all going to spend time together. I made a fire we got this uh and we we played this game called Jackbox on the p s five which is like an interactive group game sort of trivia oh that's cool it's like it's on the TV and there's like trivia and stuff and your phone interacts with it really so you make the answer it's really fun hmm. um and we did that for like three hours Wow and um I it, we were just having such a great time. It was so nice. Everybody was getting along. You know, there was no pressure. You know, because my family doesn't pressure me to drink. Um, thankfully, one would hope. You know, and um, you know, I made this awesome mocktail because that's my new thing. I'm like trying to make good mocktails for myself, and I made a whole picture of it. Mm. And my what uh, was it? Eh, I don't remember. I think it's something with cranberry. I wish I wrote it down. It was like cranberry, ginger ale, and like lemonade or something. It was good. Was it cranberry, ginger ale? Yeah. Or cranberry and ginger ale? Cranberry,
1: ginger ale. I just found out that existed this yeah. year. I had never heard of it that It goes before. awesome with like fruit yeah. juice.
0: And then I put some Marchino cherry on mm. top. And I was sharing it with my son. And just like, we were really like getting into the... You know, getting him into the headspace of we can have fun on New Year's Eve. We can even hold a drink and cheers it. Yeah, and it doesn't need alcohol. Um, of course, my wife made a comment that you know she's there's a bottle of champagne and she's the only one drinking <laughs> it. And she was like, "Ah, oh, this doesn't feel so good," you know. <laughs> but uh, and then um, she <laughs> so she had the champagne, but I didn't feel a stitch of like jealousy. I didn't say, "Man, I can't celebrate without having champagne." It's New Year's Eve. It was just. A fun time and uh watched that uh the Dick Clark with Ryan Seacrest uh, he, he's not still alive, is he? Ryan, oh, Ryan Seacrest. Ryan Seacrest yes. is, has taken over for Dick Clark, who yes. probably died twenty years ago, right? It was a while ago. Yeah, maybe ten. Ten or fifteen. So uh we watched New Year's Rock and Eve and uh it was great. Did man. you stay up till midnight? Yes. We all got up to midnight. Um and uh great. Awesome. Oh, I'm looking at the outline. It says you were in bed by 10. And then yeah. New Year's Day. Oh, this is the exciting part. We went to a New Year's Day to Medieval Times. Wow. In, uh, where is it? New Jersey. In New Jersey, which I posted some pictures of on the Patreon uh, group. And um, it was such a good time. I like... And my youngest, who has been starting to watch professional wrestling, said, this is like WWE, but with knights (laughs) and armor and stuff. And it it was exactly like that. Yeah, that's fun. been there for that. You went with my family, but I wasn't there. Is that true? I didn't go.
1: It was a scouting thing. And my wife, who was the den leader, took, I guess, your son and Ben and his little den people, and then they swung back on the way
0: home and picked me up at work. And and I drove home with them. But... um, I fucking loved it. I can't believe I've never been to this before. They just hand you food that you you're not allowed to use utensils for some reason, right? It's like, and uh, they give you so there's like six knights that are going to fight each other in this competition, mm. and each section is supposed to cheer for their own yes. knight, which is right. I love this. I love it, and you get you know cheering and and they put on this play basically where. You know, they, it's just like wrestling. Like yeah. There's a stupid it's a, story. It's a scripted story. And, and you scripted know. fighting. Right. But I went all in. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing this lately. Like, I know even if something's cheesy or stupid, I don't care. I suspend disbelief and I just get into it. I get into the spirit. And I had the best time. I really when, loved it. Uh, when
1: she took the scouts there, there was one of the scout's parents who went a dad who ended up enjoying a significant number of, of middle-aged libations Oy. and presumably driving driving home yeah with his um, kid
0: well there is um, a lot of booze there when you first walk in and you've got an hour to kill or half an hour mm. there's a gigantic bar you know but uh, instead of me going to the bar, I was. They have all this cool, like swords, and like this is the sword of you know right. King Arthur, and it's all this fun stuff. And uh, yeah, did, didn't drink though. No, did not need to. But that was a great time. And interesting. what did you do?
1: It's interesting that there's a this. This thing is literally in the swamps of the Meadowlands, yeah. like in the middle of nowhere. The only way to get there is by car, yeah. and then they push the booze on you. Like, mm-hmm. what are they thinking? Like, it's all kids with their parents here. Get. Load it up on liquor and then
0: drive your kids yeah. home on the, on the parkway. They're expecting one you of know. the parents to be the designated driver. Is, it, is that what they expect? I think that's what they tell themselves so they <laughs> sleep at night. Um, but yeah. who knows? I don't know. What did you do? When? New Year's Day. Did you oh, do anything? You didn't my, celebrate? Well. It is a holiday.
1: Uh, ben and Aaron got their COVID booster shots on New Year's Eve. <laughs> Happy New Year. Yeah. So uh, Aaron had a, had a fairly negative reaction. So she was in bed the whole day. Mm. Um, what did I do on New Year's Day? I don't even remember. Just yeah. running around, keep making sure everything was chill at home. It was fine.
0: Um, we, we have a tradition in our family where my mother-in-law um, always does a big meal on New Year's Day. Now, mm. it didn't happen this New Year's Day. I forget why. We did it the following day. So it's a New Year's Day meal. Um, she makes all these Polish delicacies. Oh. She is Polish. Um, she made krumkies. She made pierogi. Pierogies and from scratch. Let yeah. me tell oh, you, wow. holy mother of shit, it was so good. I love my mother-in-law. She can be a pain in the ass sometimes, but uh, you know her cooking is the best. You gotta and, get,
1: you gotta slip me some pierogies sometime. Oh, I, I gotta
0: have the uh, homemade pierogies. Oh my god, it's so good. Yeah. It's so good. And so we went there, and then we exchanged gifts for Christmas because. We didn't see each other on Christmas. We didn't Mm -hmm. see the family. So it was really like another Christmas. My sister-in-law showed up, and um, it was a lot of fun. Um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. The kids had fun, too. So uh,
1: something that we talked about quite a bit on the Patreon episode uh, is the fact that uh, the store, your store, is Mm. uh, closing?
0: Yeah, yeah. Do you want to Um, talk about that or no? um, Yeah, sure. I'll talk about that. So um, one of the big deals um, with this new year was, as many of you know, I've been talking about closing my store, which is a sports store in a small town, and it's been open four years. And it's just been pretty awful during COVID for obvious reasons. Um, But I have put off wanting to close it because everybody in the town who does shop here, which isn't enough people, love it. Yeah. And I have a great relationship with them. And I finally made the official announcement. I made it real. I finally told... The, the the biggest thing that was giving me anxiety, and I'm talking crazy anxiety, losing sleep, was telling the landlord, for some reason, this was the thing that, you know, gave me the most anxiety. And I was really in a bad way, like mentally. And um, I don't know. It, it was just the worst and then I finally called him and he didn't pick up so I left a message and I just said it on the message but I thought that would relieve me but because I didn't have his response it gave me more anxiety yeah and then so then I sent an email to follow up and say you know um unfortunately we are going to you know be ceasing operations as of January 31st and I'm very sorry and you know see you later uh, and then, of course, to which he wrote back, what about the lease? Um, what about the lease? <laughs> well, my uh, attorney father said, treat that as a rhetorical question and just keep closing. That's great. Um, but it seems to be okay. Um, they've put a for rent sign on the front of my store and uh, I've got 50% off stuff all over the place. And um, it's out there. It's happening. And they're showing. The, I said, you can show it to potential renters. It's fine with me. Uh, And so that is something that's kind of a big deal. Um, Well, hopefully they find somebody to take the space and (sighs) that alleviates
1: your responsibility. Do you think that um, being a, um, someone in recovery, your stress level for something like talking to your landlord is
0: higher than that of a, of a normal person or do you think that's has nothing to do with anything? I think it has nothing to do with it. I think what it is is the type of person I am in general. I'm just Like, like, I get, I'm anxious and, I don't know, but uh, I'm keeping a really good mood because it's like my customers are have they are like devastated. Some of them. I'm going to need a uh, a grief counselor, and so I have to keep my demeanor up, and I have to keep being happy. And well, that's you know, that's a difficult thing. It is, in but the,
1: in the face of all you know, all that personal internal stuff that's yeah. going on with the closing, you have to be. You feel like you have to yeah. be like uh, up and happy, and you know everything. That the,
0: must be uh, stressful, no? It is, but the truth is, I am happy. I am excited. I'm like I've got so many possibilities of what I, I can do next. I have a job basically uh, waiting for me, February first. Uh, doing, you know, I have to hire a bunch of people for this company. I'm going to be in human resources, and I get to work with people. And at the same time, um, I'm going to get my master's. Uh, awesome, and. I also so I also want to get a smart recovery facilitator certificate with you.
1: Yes, let's do that because one thing that's really on message for us would be to offer an alternative to twelve step recovery in our town. Yeah. In our general area, because there are none at the moment. Yeah. One of our listeners actually
0: looked up whether there's any smart recovery meetings here and there aren't. So it yeah, would be Liz. filling a need for Liz, people. Yeah. Yeah, Liz reached out to me today. Uh, On Discord to, you know, get tell us what her friend said about it. So thank you, Liz, for that. Yeah. And um, I'm excited. And I was thinking this, it was yesterday, and my store is closing. It's the end of the world, you know, but I feel more excited. I feel more happy about my life with more hope, Um, you know, this albatross around my neck this store as it became in covid Mm. i'm losing it it's gone and that's a weight off your shoulders it's you know the potential is unlimited you know with rma i'm going to be able to do more for this show hopefully and take this into the next level and uh i'm just excited (laughs) i'm like genuinely
1: excited for my life right now I'm excited for your life, too. Yeah. I'm excited to find out what taking it
0: to the next level means. Yeah. (laughs) We're doing it right now. Video shows. all Video shows. Um, And so that was kind of what was going on with me. Now, you had some drunk lawyer shit. Yeah. I had a... Somebody reached out to me. Did you read the headline? Drunk-ass lawyers get a talking to. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's the headline. That's the headline. Uh, I had somebody reach out to me. After my Annie Grace appearance, it was another attorney who said, hey, you know, there's this conference on attorney wellness going on in January. Would you like to participate? And I said, sure, I'll participate. You know, uh, I have decided that when these opportunities come up, I'm just going to say yes to all of them. That's an AA thing. I have heard that that's an AA thing. They say,
0: you know, never turn down a speaker request. Right. Never say no.
1: So, Sure. And then she's like, "Well, I'm not sure if I'm going to do it," and I didn't hear anything back for a few months. And then a couple of weeks ago, or about a week ago, she's like, "Listen, this conference is in um, uh, two weeks, and would you like to, you know, participate as like a facilitator? And because you run, because you have a podcast, you can, um, you know, facilitate the conversation between these can you know, I just, a
0: panel of attorneys." I would just like to say one thing yes. before you continue. When we started this podcast. You, you know, are were anonymous specifically so people in your industry and job wouldn't know that you were recovering alcoholic. And now,
1: well, I don't use that term, by uh the way. You're just an expert who I I am a. uh, I am someone that's changed his relationship with alcohol. Okay, because this is a very much this panel is very much focused on Annie Grace style um, recovery. We're not even mentioning AA. It's it's all. Smart recovery, right. Annie grace, uh, you know, any other alternatives? Alternatives to recovery because we tr- it's 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 a health conference and it's virtual, mm. so people can drop in on our presentation without saying
0: I am an alcoholic,
1: right? They can watch it at their leisure. Mm. It's you know, it's not even being broadcast at a certain time, but it's going to be up for a certain time. And um, I, th- I was thinking, well, you know, we've had this discussion before, right? Um, you know lawyers drink a lot, uh, advertising executives drink a lot. Everybody drinks a lot. Right. right? But then I started going, you know, in preparation for this thing, I started actually looking at the numbers for lawyers and when it comes to attorneys, uh, there actually do seem to be more lawyers struggling with alcohol than in other professions. And that's
0: self-reporting. So Uh, it's
1: probably more. There was a survey that was done by Hazleton Betty Ford Mm -hmm. along with the American Bar Association, um, that indicate that at, 36.4% 36.4% of respondents had scores on the alcohol use disorder identification test that were uh, consistent with problematic drinking. So that means one in three practicing attorneys are problem drinkers based on volume and frequency of alcohol consumed. Mm. Uh, not only that, 28% suffer from depression and 19% show symptoms of anxiety. So they, they surveyed 12,825 licensed employed lawyers in 19 States all around the country. Uh, how how much? What percentage would you think of surgeons have problematic drinking patterns?
0: Ten percent, fifteen percent. Ooh, I was but, it, close. but it's
1: half of that of attorneys.
0: Well, they're a different breed of cat to be a. Uh, but they're around all
1: those drugs all the time.
0: Yeah, but to get to that point in your medical career where you are a surgeon, it mm. is a, the top of the top of the top of med school. These are people who are the highest functioning human beings. You know, right.
1: That, well, but you could say that
0: about big big firm lawyers and appellate lawyers and all that as well well maybe yeah lawyers are different they they don't have people's lives in their hands with millimeter incisions you know what i mean like it's Hmm. a different it's a different profession like so that's why i would think surgeons. something that came up is interesting is like surgeons like airline pilots if you have if
1: you're an airline pilot and they find that you have a trouble you have trouble with alcohol there's a specific program that's set up just for airline pilots that you go through and you Mm. take this program and then they generally uh, gently ease you back into the profession. Because I guess the the thinking is all this money has been spent on training, um, you know, and you don't want like just to wash this person out because they have a problem. There's nothing similar to that in the legal profession. They also mm. have it in the medical profession, which maybe that's why Mm. the incidence of alcohol use disorder is only 15% there as opposed to 35% for lawyers. But I don't know. Interesting. So, anyway, that's coming up. I'm gonna have actually have to record the panel next week. Oh, can you put it on the on the Patreon? I or don't know because I think you have to pay to access this mm. this particular. That would be interesting conference. But I, if I can, I certainly will. Anyway, so that's that's kind of interesting thing that's going on for me right now.
0: Um, speaking of doctors, there's a, a really amazing documentary with a companion fictional uh, series called Doctor Death. I think it's on Apple Oh, I listened to the uh, podcast, yeah. Uh, And there's, I guess, also a podcast that inspired it. Yeah. And it's about this surgeon, this back surgeon, who is just like, he's a compulsive liar, and he's a horrible addict, and he basically, like, paralyzes and kills people. Like 30-something patients. Doing surgery, and it's an amazing... Uh, f- uh, the fictional fictionalization is really good on Apple TV plus the story is extremely horrifying mm. you know um, and he must have also been a sociopath yeah, you know um, right. and so but it took so much to get him his yeah. license pulled that's the crazy thing we should we should do a show about that yeah. um, it's very interesting uh, so yeah Dr. Death um, okay where are we oh I wanted to uh I wanted to just um, mention a couple of other things. Um, you know, the homelessness and poverty, even in our town, um, you know, it, it's getting worse. Um, it used to be that you'd see one uh, or, you know, walking around. And I've got uh, a couple that come into my store, a couple of gentlemen who I've become friends with. Mm-hmm. One of them, as you know, is John the Can Man. Uh, I met him at the local. Outpatient rehab. So Mm -hmm. we were in rehab together. I've talked about him way back on the show. Right. Call him the can man because his job basically is, you know, going around town and getting cans and then cashing them. And so and everybody knows him because he walks everywhere. He does. He's a man on a mission. So once I got to know him, and I remember when I got into the outpatient rehab and I saw him sitting across the table, I'm like, finally, I get to find out this guy's story. Mm -hmm. And so I did. And after I graduated that program, Uh, He knew I had a store in town and he started coming in and uh, you know, I'm always, you know, just, uh, just treating him with respect and love. And, you know, I feel like people sometimes don't do that with someone who appears to be, you know, on the outs. Right. And there was another person uh, in a similar situation who's been coming in and he always comes into my store and he just wants to look at the, the mitts, the baseball mitts. And he talks about, you Know how he used to play, and boy, he would love this mitt or that mm. mitt. And uh, he came in yesterday, um, uh, to just to say hello, and he's eyeballing. He said, Oh, I'm sorry, you're going out of business. I said, oh, Don't be sorry. Um, and uh, he picked up this $260 mitt that he really had his eye on. And um, the bottom line is, he's like, I want to buy it, and I said, Uh, I'm like, Yeah, you can if you want, I'll give you a great price. And, uh, and then finally I said, well, half price, I think it was 130, uh, 130. And I said, listen, you really, really want it. And I would have given it to him, but I know he wouldn't have gone for that. He doesn't want charity. Right. And so I said, how about a hundred dollars? Right. And he thought about it and he goes, yep. He pulls out a C note as he called it. And then I know he's not living, uh, under a roof. I know he's in his car. Because he told me last time when he was he came in drunk and he told me all this stuff, so I know he's struggling, and I saw he didn't have a hat, he didn't have gloves, he didn't have a scarf, and uh, and so I said, and I've got that stuff. I mm-hmm. said, you know, the mitt comes with this winter hat. You need one? Oh, really? I'm like, yeah, yeah. It comes with this. And I said, you know what else? I said, well, how big are your hands? It's large. I said, I got a pair of gloves. Comes with the mitt. And oh, that's like, nice. That's said, nice. Oh, that that's so great. I can't believe how much I'm getting for a, a C note. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, not only that, you know, I'm trying to think, what else can I give this guy? I had this neck gator that keeps you warm at night. I said, oh, I'm one of these. And he was like, oh man. And it was great because he didn't feel like he was getting charity. right? And right. he's like, just getting a lot for his money. Yeah, and it just that makes that stuff makes me feel good. Sure, man, that's um, that's awesome, and I felt good about it. And um, but I feel bad that he's in that predicament. What's he gonna do with a hundred dollar baseball mitt? I don't know, but he. <laughs> I'm thinking. telling you, he's come in ten times, just drooling over it. Like if there's yeah. something about. Maybe that Maybe it represents mitt. something to right. Yeah. And I I wanted him to have it, and yeah. honestly, I would have just given it to him. But I could tell. Yeah. He wants to be, you know. I don't know if that would, uh, if he likes to accept charity. Well, he might need another one if he wants to play catch with somebody. Well, if he wants another one, it's full price. <laughs> I you know. Just, right. <laughs> so that was Dwight. And, um, and that's cool. what's going on. So um, before we move
1: on to the main topic, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that uh, our friend uh, Dave from the Adobe podcast was um, on Mark Marin's show. Oh, that's right. Uh, this week.
0: And uh, it was a good interview. You guys should check it out. Um, Mark Marin's is pretty interesting. He's got a huge podcast, like how huge many, audience. How yeah. many? How many listeners would you say he has? Is uh, he like hundreds, Joe Rogan?
1: Hundreds of thousands, if not more.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a big podcast. The guy interviews celebrities galore. He interviewed Barack Obama famously. Yeah, and uh, and, and, and Dave. Dave. Yeah, which was kind of crazy, and and you kind of got a shout
1: out <laughs> at the end. Dave said, "I uh, Mark asked him." Um, you know, how how he, how he puts the podcast together or something. And Dave was like, well, I got this guy that edits and I have this other guy that helps me with marketing and stuff. And I was like, that's yes, Nat.
0: <laughs> I'm the guy. Yeah. Um, it was very cool. I'm very happy for Dave. Um, yeah, it was great. I mean... I love I, working on that show. I like Marin. You know, he's a grumpy cynic. Um,
1: let, let, turns off a lot of people, including you. Yeah. Uh, um, but I don't know. I like him, but I think, I think Dave's a better interviewer, to be honest. I, I mean, I, I, I got more
0: out of... His interview of Marin that yep. I got out of Mared's interview with him, but yeah, you know, Dave's a natural. I mean he's yeah. talented and um, and that was really cool for us as team Dopey just to see, you know because we're trying to push it, we want to get him to the next level along with us, but you know I'm laser focused on on getting Dopey to where it needs to be. And, um, yeah, it was just really cool. And uh, I always love a little mention, even if it's anonymous. Sure. So check that out, uh, WTF Podcast. Um, The latest episode has Dopey Dave. So uh, we're going to move on to our main topic. But
1: before we do, uh, a word from my bladder. (laughs) And we'll be right
0: back after these words. So your wife was asking her to bring you asking you to bring her a fancy salami and we're back. Yes, yes indeed. I got a text from my wife on break and uh she said, "Please call me before you get home." And I immediately get this pang of anxiety. <laughs> it's like when a so when your well, wife Are you afraid of getting yelled at? I don't, yeah, I think. It's like <laughs> I have PTSD, you know, from years gone by. And so I'm like, I'm, I can't do the rest of the show till I f- hear what this is. Right. So what it is is um, my 11-year-old finally woke up. Uh, and, and demanded uh, meat? He was, uh, <laughs> he was about to go downstairs to his computer palace. And uh, he's got this homework to do this project, which um, is just a huge pain in the ass. But he's got to do it. He's been putting it off. He promised he'd finish it today. And um, she said, no, you're not going downstairs. You're either going to play outside mm-hmm. or you're doing your homework. And so he and um, his little brother... Went over to our neighbor's house down the street and uh, they're going to build igloos. Yeah,
1: that's better than doing bake, your homework. Uh,
0: the mom is baking chocolate chip cookies and hot chocolate and I'm just really glad that uh, he's not being a computer boy today. Yeah. And I'm not in trouble.
1: So, <laughs> so I'm still not sure where the salami comes in.
0: Salami, there's um, there's an Italian bakery and uh, sort of a grocer across the street that's new. And my oldest son, who's got very fancy taste wants a, an Italian soapat really? yes,
1: your son has requested the the Italian yeah. salami, yep, huh go figure there you go now I'm like now I have envy because I well, wish my son appreciated good salami <laughs> as well, yeah and i don't he, know why
0: why this is bothering me my my older son <laughs> likes the fancy food, he eats sushi and he he's got my palate you know for hmm. for cuisine, but my younger son only eats you know like pizza. Chicken nuggets, right, macaroni and cheese, and yeah. kale chips. Incidentally, really, it's well, the only that vegetable. one
1: outlier thing that they yeah. tend to fixate on. Anyway, um, moving from fancy salami to, um, I've got no segue for the, the, the <laughs> life. Yeah, this was a fucked up documentary,
0: man. The Life of Crime. Yeah, we're discussing today Life of Crime on HBO. Um, it's the uh, the Emmy-winning veteran documentary filmmaker John Alpert directs and produces Life of Crime 1984 to 2020 on HBO Max, and uh, it's an unflinching look at the lives of three friends in the grip of crime, substance abuse, prison time, and the struggle to get sober and stay free. You know,
1: really interesting documentary, probably one of the most tragic things that I've watched in a long time. I mean, it's just shocking. Um but in the beginning of the doc, oh, so it follows these three people from 1984 all the way till the 2000s. Right. Right. Uh, it starts. Did you watch the original one that came out in 1989?
0: No, I watched whatever HBO okay. put out where it's all three of them together.
1: Well, they, right, they cut a lot out and they rearrange stuff. Like, I, I. I was on YouTube yesterday watching a little bit of the stuff from, from the 1989 version, and, and they went really deep into like some of the characters that ended up not being like much in this like there's that scene where that guy, Mike, in the beginning, you know, he's beaten up his girlfriend yes, or whatever. Yes. Anyway, and then he goes to prison and then he decides he's not going to participate in the documentary yeah, anymore. Yeah. That was Mike. That was Mike, yeah. right. He is still alive and around.
0: Oh, interesting. And I was going to say, I wrote this down. um, One of the first things you see is just a horrific um, domestic violence scene. Yeah, I mean, it's not like he killed, but to me, it just, I like had this visceral reaction um, so much that I don't even want to repeat it. I was going to, you know.
1: he'd only been going out with her for two months. Yeah. And they've got a baby
0: and he hits her while they're filming this documentary and uh, the guy goes, are you sure she you should be doing that? She's like, yeah. She, she doesn't listen. Yeah, she don't listen. It's the only way she she learns, he says. And he's yeah. like, get back in your hole. And I was like, holy shit. Yeah. I mean, wow, wow. Just, it just hurt my heart. Just to sort of set the stage, I guess, a little more, you know, uh,
1: Life of Crime begins in 1984. It takes place in, it follows these three folks around in Newark, New Jersey, which is not a nice place <laughs> from, you know, what mm-hmm. I can tell. Um so it it, it it opens with the they follow this guy Rob Steffi, who's scratching out a living as like a shoplifter along with his buddy Freddie Rodriguez. Yeah. Um, and they're like suave. You know, guys in the beginning, they're young, they have a car, you know, they flash in their wads of cash around. Yeah. And basically, they go into all these
0: stores and they're just shoplifting and then selling the stuff out on the street. Yep. they're living the life of crime and like it's going well as far as they're concerned. Yeah, they life of petty cash. crime. They say things like, yeah, and so maybe I go to jail for a little bit and then I'm out, I'm doing it again. And they're just like loving it.
1: Right, and they ask him like, "Are you afraid of being caught?" And he's like, "I'm always afraid, uh, but it beats minimum wage, and I got to eat, you know." And then Freddie's like, uh, "You know, why, should, why make $150 a week when I can make $150 a day, you know?" And they're like, yeah. they're all like, sort of riding high on this life of petty crime, and and they, like they just, how old were they? When they I started? would ha- I would say 20? they were in their late teens, early twenties, yeah. you know, young and and. Uh, Full of like swagger and, you know, and then like, you could just see him start with the drugs, you know, like with the sniffing cocaine, you know, and yeah. drinking, you know, they're oh, drinking Budweiser's and stuff. And
0: and this guy captures everything on this documentary. It's yeah, amazing. He yeah. was just, and they did everything in front of, it was amazing. They really opened up to him, Yeah, you know, um,
1: you know, he's asking questions of them from behind the camera and they've gave him like un- unprecedented access because I-, I think in the back of their heads, maybe they, they thought that they wanted, you know, the-, the, the people to see like what their lives were like or something and how they weren't like just, right. You know, nothing people, you know?
0: Yeah. And then there's the allure of I'm on camera. Yeah. And they thought yeah. they were stars to begin with. Um, but you know, like
1: then they start with the drugs and they have to support their drug habits. Uh, in I guess in, in, the early part of the documentary, it was Valium. Uh, there's that one scene of Freddie driving around in the car, and they're asking him how many how many pills he took yeah. today, and he's like he's that, counting yeah. it up. He's like uh, blah, blah, blah. he's like I don't know, seventeen yeah. Valiums, like you know, um,
0: cocaine, and then they start getting into the heroin, right? Um, right. Well, you you watch their lives slowly deteriorate, and it's kind of like it's instructional almost. Like here's how this is going to go. Mm-hmm. You see they get nabbed, one spends time in prison and then you're watching this happen and as it goes, the more drugs get involved. Yeah, like that guy Mike we were talking about before, like, he gets busted for something
1: and then his mother bails him out, like $750, gets him out, he he um, absconds, you know, he jumps bail um, and... They go and interview his mother, and she's like, I don't know, you know, I, I'm going to lose Mikey. the money. That's yeah. that's Mike, you know. Yeah. He's <laughs> got to make his decisions, you know. And and I'm thinking, you know, the parenting is not the best in this situation. Like, they introduce Rob's father, and that guy can barely,
0: like... That's the stepfather where he looks crazy?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, Freddie's father's the one who was, like, so drunk on vodka that yeah. he was making that face, like, yes. nah! yeah, like a the, troll and running around. Yeah. Rob's dad was, like, he was just a quiet guy just kind of standing in the kitchen. And I'm like, this guy is not mentally all there, no. you know? And and Rob grew up with that as a role model. I mean, right. that's a, you know.
0: Yeah. I mean, and,
1: and that's the thing that really hit me is like the- The family system. The generational, yeah. you know, issues. Like all the parents were were drunks or, or drug addicts also. Like Freddie's whole family was doing drugs right. constantly in the house, you know? And very different from like a suburban- drug user like you or I who, who came out of, you know, some, a position of relative privilege.
0: Right. Know? And uh, some of that goes to, I think Maya Zalovitz is, um, was she the one with the, uh, she was talking about the intergenerational, like your DNA is changed. Yeah. So like two generations back, there's an addict or an alcoholic and mental illness. And even without the environmental, um, you know, influence, there's mm-hmm. a genetic yeah influence that um is hard to shake it's uh epigenetics yes, you know thank you. so you have the genetic
1: predisposition and then along with that you're in the environment right that gives you all these opportunities to you know become to fulfill the potential of the genes the bad potential that you have based on the generational trauma it's right. really crazy to see because you know I kind of liked those guys. Like I They're not very- Mike. He was the, not the guy who was beating his girlfriend. No. He ended up going to jail. He got a long sentence. He got like 15 years yeah. for a strong arm robbery or something. Yeah. And he and he decided I'm not participating in the documentary anymore and that's the last you saw him was like 1986 or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. But the other two guys would get they were I like I kind of liked them. They were likable guys. Yeah.
0: You know, and they try and they try, and you watch it's amazing. They follow them into prison too, the guys right. that let them. And so, you not only get to see how they got into prison, but then you see like what happens when you go to prison and like what kind of treatment are you really capable of getting in a prison, if any. And you know, it's supposed to be rehabilitating. Uh, but you kind of watch. I think it was Freddie. I get I get the guys mixed up. He's the one with the big glasses. Yeah, and uh, and you watch, you know, him talking to the other prisoners, and they're interviewing him, and they're like, "What are you going to do when you get out?" You know, and it's just to hear what his plans are. You ain't never going to touch drugs again. He's like, right. "No, I don't need that," you know. And then um, and then some of them do get recovery. But what was really interesting to me, uh, and and this came up in Joseph Nau's book, it's post jail where you're dealing with a parole officer. right? And so the life, you get to see, okay, now that these guys are out of jail and they have good intentions to stay sober and yes. like have a good life, they all say they want to have a normal life. And you watch how the world and the system pulls them back right. and makes it difficult. And it makes it near impossible for them to conform to the terms of their parole, which well, sends them back.
1: There, there was, I, I like that they showed the parole officers over time and different ones, right? Yeah. Depending on what point in these guys' lives when they got out, they'd have a different parole officer. Yeah. Some of them were um, were nice enough to the point where they, they felt like if they were going to relapse, they called their parole officer and said, can you yeah. help me out? And and they would help him out. But Freddie, that one time, he had that other parole officer who basically was just this young guy who was a real Douchebag. Yeah. He just like put on like that was the 90s. Right? Yeah. He put on his Kevlar vest to go do a home visit, you know, at Freddie's house. And he goes in there and he finds that other members of Freddie's family are doing drugs. He's like, You can't stay here. That's right. But he doesn't give him like an alternative. He, he brings him to this apartment for rent. You know, and yeah. it's a real shit hole. Like the guy shows him the rooms, and the place is falling apart. And he's like, "I can't stay here." And they're like, "Okay." The parole officer says, "We're going to take you to a hotel, yeah, and you could stay at this hotel until." But but if you go back to your family home, I'm going to put you back in in jail. Yeah. And this hotel is 120 dollars a night. And, right. and back then, yeah. back then, and Freddie's got like two days worth of you know yeah. uh, uh, of money enough to cover it. and He's sitting on the bed in this hotel, and he's like, "It's yeah. really nice in here, man," but. You know, I can't stay here and then sure enough within a couple of days, you know, yeah. he's back on drugs and you well, know.
0: What the hell is he supposed to do? Yeah. He, he's put in a situation. I mean, how much of it is his fault? I mean, that's a, an even bigger question. You you might say, well, look, he was life a crime, he did this to himself, but he also served his time. He's you know, stated that he wants to be better. But his situation, his living situation, isn't better, mm-hmm. and they even make it worse. You know, maybe he would have been fine in the family home. Who knows? But probably, uh, probably not. Yeah, but like, there's no really good alternative for him, and you can't find work, and you can't find a place to live, uh, and you don't have tools to to correct that. Um, what the hell is he supposed to do? You just it's you go back to doing what you were doing
1: before. That's why the recidivism knew. rate is sure. is like you know seventy percent for you, convicted felons. You
0: think back on when th- times were good and you were having fun, you had wads of cash, and you associate. Well, what was I doing? Right, uh, I was robbing, stealing, drugging, and I was great. Yeah, you failing to you know make the next logical leap, which is, and then I was in prison, and then I
1: <laughs> right.
0: But I mean, you
1: know, an environment like inner city Newark, where these guys were living, like there was no. Yep. avenue to doing anything I yeah mean, all my friends are street friends you know that right. remember Ex- yeah. exactly and, you know and you know because that's right that uh, john asked freddie i think at one point do you have any friends who are not criminals right you know and he's like well nope. no <laughs> you know that he's like you know that right they're all street friends right um you know and it doesn't it didn't seem to matter how hard you tried because you know
0: they tried these tried. guys
1: these guys did stretches and they'd get out for a little while, and then they'd go back in. But uh, the one, the one that really got to me was was uh, Rob. Um, he got out, and he strung together like oh, two yeah. years of plus of sober time, and he got a job working at an Eckert's drugstore. Uh, yeah, and um, he was doing great. He was doing great, and he was going around like twelve stepping. I guess yeah. they call it like going out and trying to find people to get sober. Like he was really doing. The work. Yeah. You know. And Deliris did that too. Delirus. Oh, yeah, we didn't mention the, her
0: yet, but she's she's she was a huge a, part of this. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh Deliris, I think her name is. It's either Deliris or Deliris. Deliris. She yeah. was um I guess she was Rob's girlfriend first. Right. And then Freddie had a thing with her also. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was getting confused as to who's who watching that, but well, she and she had it pretty rough too. I mean, she had a couple of kids and she couldn't she was addicted to heroin. And And prostituting. Right, she was prostituting. She was kind of in and out of prison too, but maybe a little less time in uh, than the other guys. But she couldn't seem to get clean at all. I mean, she did... Until she did. She did. And then she had a couple of years and
0: she... She, was she doing great. She looks she, great. She yeah. was healthy. She returned to the, the, the drug area. If you guys have ever watched shows like The Wire, yeah. and they show the projects in the city where the drug dealers are all just hanging out yeah. and everybody... So you walk in and then a million guys come up to you, oh, you need this, you need that. Where she used to go... After she was clean and trying to help people, she would go back Mm to those situations, probably not ready for it, but to help. Right. And, you know, and it was interesting to watch her interact with her former, like, uh, you know, friends who she would buy or sell drugs to. Right. And she'd be like, no, I don't do that. I'm here to save people and this and that. Ultimately, um, you know, she goes back. And I
1: think being around all of that. She had a long period of sobriety. And then. She did so much to help people. And then, like, within like six months, she had lost like 80 pounds and was living in a hotel with some weird dude. Yeah. You know, and she had. But she had her high school graduation picture up on the wall of the room she was living in. And she looked like she weighed like 60 pounds or something. It was really, really messed up. And nobody thought that, you know, the filmmaker was like. I don't know. I'm, I'm torn between giving away, yeah, you know, and not giving. Away. But I, but I don't think that the ending is really the important thing about this. No. So uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw some spoilers out. So if you want to stop listening, uh, why should I ever tell listeners no, to don't stop ever listening stop to listen. the podcast? what's wrong with me? No, um. So, so Rob, I was talking about earlier when he got out that time, and he got two years, yeah. and then he got the the job at the drugstore and he was doing okay. Um, and he was also going around and trying to help addicts. And then he let one guy move in and live in his house. That's right. And I forget that guy's name, but he was you know, clean at the time. But as, as soon as he moved in, he started using heroin again. That's right. That's and then right. they showed him shooting up in it, the kitchen, he's like, that don't bother. And me. Rob's like, ah, "Yeah, that doesn't tempt me. It doesn't bother me. Nothing." And then you could see him looking at it, right, salivating. Yeah. yeah. And then a few months later, you know, that's when when the wheels came off the bus because he the Eckert drugstore closed, so the job goes away. Yep, the and, job goes away, and now he's
0: living with this guy who's shooting up every day. Important point here: um, he had been given that job at Eckert uh, by the local manager, mm-hmm. who was he knew him personally. And he didn't either care about his criminal record or uh, didn't know about it, something like that. So what happened was, you know, they were telling him, of course, man, you're going to move to another record. Um, We're not going to leave you high and dry. You're such a great employee. And he's expecting it. He's helping them close. And then finally, when the time comes... They tell him, you know, the manager of the other Eckert or the higher corporate managers looked at his record and said, We can't have this guy on staff. Right. So there's that compounding effect of being a felon or, a, you know, having a criminal history that's mm-hmm. on the record. And just he's trying to do the right thing. He's a great employee, he's clean. And here they are saying, No, even though the other manager was like, He's great, he's the best, he's in charge of all this stuff. It didn't matter. Right. So he was not given that other chance to move on. So he still had a great attitude when they, they were filming him going to the um, the employment office. Yeah. I'm um, here to get a job. But, you, know? you know, what a kick in the nuts, man. Yeah. After all of that, they had to pull the rug out from under him. Uh, it's terrible. You know, and, and eventually there's only so much you can take,
1: you know, right. uh, you know, he couldn't find a job. He's got this. This guy living with him that he, out of the goodness of his heart, he let him move in because the guy needed a place to stay. And then he started, he starts using. And then, of course, the inevitable happens, right? I mean, Rob goes back to, back to
0: using. And, you know. Yeah, and it's, um, it's really awful. And um, the other, I think it was Freddie. So, Freddie gets out of prison finally. uh, Yeah, he did a long stretch. He Yeah, he does a long stretch. And he had his son. I think, and when he gets out of prison, he's all clean and sober, and he's looking good. But then, um, one of the things that goes goes down is he finds out that he's HIV positive. Right. Keeping in mind when that happened, I forget what year it was. If it was the nineties, it wasn't at a point where they
1: had the uh virus
0: right. drugs. You know. So they tell him, um, or was that Frank? But in any case, he's so he's trying to get back into his son's life. And the son is having trouble in school. He's starting to party. And he Rob really, he like goes to the principal to talk to the principal yeah. to get him back into the school. And he's trying to do the right thing. You know, and you see that. Um, and um, it just, you know, and there's that intergenerational uh, addiction and criminal behavior. The son didn't know his father because the father was doing drugs and, and being a criminal and he was in jail. So this son grows up knowing his father mm-hmm. is this way and um, doesn't have a, a positive role model. And you can see now he's starting to get into this kind of trouble. Yeah. Um, and the same thing with, uh, well, I don't know about Delirious
1: kids because we only see them at the very, you know, we see them pleading with her not to go out and get high. A few times and that was talk about heartbreaking um but it, you you don't know what happened to them between you know the the mid-2000s and and the end of the movie but they seem like they're more well adjusted than you know their mother was but maybe that's because the mother had like 13 years of sobriety at the end
0: now you took so, you had some good uh notes on this that uh we wrote down um <laughs> What did I say? Yeah, you you had a nice little, uh, you sent this to me. You said, the documentary is a great launching off point for a discussion about street addicts versus problem drinkers, the role of generational addiction and poverty in the outcomes of subsequent generations, the criminal justice system's failure to respond to addiction, the way the parole system is designed to encourage recidivism, the absence of any alternatives to 12-step treatment for addicts. Who NA isn't working for, the role of family and community, how 12 step work plays a big role in recovery, but it's pretty dangerous to do it when all your friends are addicts, and how environment plays a huge role in outcomes. And then criminal records, you know, you can't get jobs and everything. So yeah. that encapsulated. I think we touched on some of that yeah,
1: stuff already, but. Um,
0: but what about the street addicts versus problem
1: drinkers? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean,. You know, we, we, we've always said, and, and I, and I believe that, you know, alcohol use disorder is on a continuum. And I, and I believe that like that there's people who have problematic relationships with alcohol that are not necessarily street addicts and, uh, you know,
0: yeah. And you know. and that brings up that, that larger question that you and I have been mm-hmm. talking about this whole time, um, you know, we love uh, programs and, and books like the, This Naked Mind, but um, there is a, a wide range, a wide spectrum of types of addiction, levels. And um, and I always said that, you know, you take a street-level addict, you know, uh, who's, you know, really, really ha- like these guys, right. and you hand them Annie Grace's book, mm-hmm. do you really think they're going to read it and go, I I was wrong this whole time, <laughs> you know. She's right. I I'm going to stop all of this
1: stuff. No, but I think there's a couple of reasons for that. I don't think Annie Grace's book is necessarily written for someone who is uh, addicted to heroin and living on the street. I think it's more targeted towards the. A high-functioning alcoholic, or even an alcoholic who was high-functioning, is now becoming low-functioning. I think there's a vast difference between having an alcohol use disorder uh, of the variety that a lot of professionals have, even the ones that end up in the Mm. sneaking out to their garage and drinking from their handles of vodka that they have hidden, and someone who's shooting heroin into their neck through you know ten times a day. Right. You know, and I don't think every. Recovery program has the answer for every person, and and I think you know for somebody who is addicted to heroin to the level of um, of doing that sort of thing, you know, Annie Grace's book is not going to help you at all. Right. Uh, But I don't know if AA is going to or NA is going to help you at all either. Right. Um, You know what seemed to help these guys, and and I'm watching this and I'm thinking I can't believe I'm thinking this, but they were better off in prison. Yeah, because yeah. they all they got clean in prison, and w- and the shots where they you would talk to them after they spent like two or three years in prison, they were uh, lucid yeah. and uh, funny, and the spark was back in their eye, and all this stuff. Right. And if only there was some way to to right. you know, carry that forth when you go back into the community. But but we do not have the social structures set up in this society no. to help people reintegrate after they get out of prison. And every one of them that comes out went right back to the drugs after a period.
0: This is the problem with uh, the philosophy of no government intervention, uh, only self-sufficiency, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Like, not everybody can do this, and we're losing people by not providing these kinds of services uh, intelligently. And the problem is that because of this, there's a vacuum, and you know nature abhors a vacuum and um, so what filters in is we have 12s we have aa that is just the go to because it's ubiquitous it's everywhere and um, every judge you know oh just you know go to aa right. or whatever and um you know because of what we're discovering about addiction you can't have something like the reason that there's only a whatever a 10% reported success rate is because it's the only thing most people first come in contact with and not everybody is suited for it, you know? Mm-hmm. so the question becomes then, then what do we do? Like, what is the solution? What, what would be the thing? Like that we have like 10 different options and then a judge, you know, sorts out who goes where? I mean, how do you even begin to address this? Well,
1: if you get sober in prison and then you, you are released in my mind, the minimum that should be afforded to people who are sent back into the community is stable housing situation right. uh, and s- some way of securing gainful employment. Because if you send a sober person out of prison, they don't automatically go back to being an addict. Um, right. You know, but, if, but if you're economically disadvantaged, and, and you have no, I mean, you can convict someone of a felony and that's great and put them in prison and that's fine. You know, That's society. That's what we do, right? right. But when you way. release that person back into society without any structure yeah. to help them whatsoever, all you're doing is creating a revolving door yeah. of criminal justice because they're going to use again, they're going to commit more crimes and they're going to end up back in the system. So the system we have is just nonsensical. It it's yeah. it's not designed to do anything except punish people,
0: right? And if if uh, feeling bad, you know, about your addiction cured anybody, none of us would have gone as right. long as we did. It's, if right. feeling ashamed was something, or getting punished would cure addiction, then we wouldn't be having this conversation. I mean, I look back,
1: you know, during the years that I was smoking crack in the Bronx in a neighborhood that was very much like Newark, New Jersey, right? right. And that was kind of funny cuz you know I'm watching the documentary with with Erin, you know my wife who is not doesn't have that background and you know <laughs> so she's like she's watching people shoot up in their neck and like do all this crazy shit and I'm just kind of like yeah, you know, seen seen that before. <laughs> seen you know, it. and she's like horrified, you right. know, like but um it's a war trauma. But but I would I would go into this neighborhood and I would do this stuff and then I could leave. Right. I could leave I get my car I drive back to Long Island or I go back when I was hadn't failed out of school I would just go back
0: to school or like that and, cop said to you the one time what are you doing here like, yeah he, he didn't put you in handcuffs no the guy I was with got arrested right but not me right right so I had options you know they always say um black people go to jail and white people go to rehab and mm-hmm. it is a sad and mostly true commentary um on the reality of the, the quote, war on drugs that's going on. It's really a war on impoverished people of color. Yes. Uh, although it's interesting to note that Rob was white.
1: Uh, you know?
0: He was Puerto Rican. I no, Freddie was Puerto Freddy Rican. Freddie was Puerto Rican. Rob was, was a white guy. Right. So that flies in the face of what I just said. Well, but... Um you know he was still
1: he still had to deal with being a felon, he still had to deal with being from the neighborhood and he just, was an outlier in yeah, that sense right
0: and and so in that way, we also see that it's not just you know what color you are, it's your socioeconomic background yeah. and your neighborhood so maybe some of that has more to do with it because you're trapped in these neighborhoods your father was and so forth although
1: i I do remember that one scene where Rob was pulled over in Newark by a a cop I guess who knew him, and uh he said to him, you know." you know you're going to what are you doing in this neighborhood you're a white guy and those guys over there are going to they're going to kill you man you better you know get out of here and it was right. a similar kind of thing but but if he had been like one of those other guys who were hanging out on the stoop doing drugs across the street there's no way that cop would have kicked him loose no he would have he would have picked him up yeah you know so yeah. so it, what you're saying i think is totally valid in terms of the well, racism inherent in the criminal justice system i mean i don't think there's it's hard to look at all the statistics and deny that there's racism baked into the system. But yeah,
0: and um, that's one of the things I'm also starting to explore with reading Evan Haynes and Bob Forrest's book, which yeah, I'm just the, that is some book. I know I keep bringing this up, guys, um, but I am like in this book right now. Typically, I will listen to a book usually a couple of times, but with this book because it wasn't audible, I'm reading it like a textbook and I'm going through it with a highlighter and and every page I pick something out of. It's amazing, and so I'm getting all of this perspective on the uh, just the evolution of psychiatric care as it relates mm. to uh, addiction care today, the criminal justice system, and what it does. And so this is sort of where this is all leading, and and this documentary kind of just puts it all on the screen. Yeah, it really reaffirms know. and you see the, the book. whole thing. It's like a holistic. Like here's how it went. Right. You know, and um, it just opened a lot of you know doors in my mind, uh, a lot more like understanding of it. So I highly recommend watching Life of Crime on HBO Max. Um, it's a it's a really yeah.
1: Difficult thing to watch, and I, I think like instead of like have I, I think a good use for this documentary instead of like sending uh, police officers into schools and telling them not to do drugs and so on, you should sit sit people down, sit these kids down in high school, and make them watch this thing because it drives home in a way that just a lecture from a, you know someone in authority never could the reality of what happens when you get involved in in hardcore drug use, you know, because these guys all started with, you know, weed, a couple of couple of pills, a yep. couple of Budweisers, and then you know, fast forward twenty
0: years, and you know, it's they're looking for a vein in an alley, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, one quote I wanted to close with uh, from Freddie, uh, who who's discussing, you know, his family history, uh, and it kind of says a lot. He says, "Quote: My mother and father divorced when we were young. They put me in a foster home." Uh, The system, I guess. Some white lady and a white man uh, were pretty old uh, and rich. And uh, then my parents went to court to get me back. And he said if he had just stayed with those rich people, he would have been okay. He has also the last thing that stood out to me. He has a tattoo on his back. And uh, the documentarian asks, uh, what does that mean? It was in Spanish. Perdón, madre mía. And it means, forgive me, mother of mine. Mm. Uh, just this mindset of, I'm bad, I need to be forgiven. You know, right. it's, uh, it's just, it's so endemic and, um, and it's sad because to me, all of these people, they're just me. You know, like I think of everybody as just, you know, we're the same like organism. Like spiritually, I feel like we're all you know, um, the same. And so when I see that, I feel like it's myself being, you know, being in that scenario. And it's just, uh, it's heartbreaking and we can do better and we should do better. We should. And without telling you
1: the ending, I mean, you can, you guys can kind of imagine where all this ends up, you know. Um, Delirious had 13 years yeah, until the pandemic. Right. And, and uh, she lost all of her social support all the meetings, all that stuff. She, she was been, speaking and everything. Yeah. She'd been given like the, an award for being like Newark citizen of her know. son was
0: proud of her. He was yeah. a cop, and, um,
1: and then the pandemic came and, you know, yeah. And fentanyl did what it does.
0: Right. Yeah. It so. is, it is a sad reality, but that, you know what? There's something we can do about it. Each and every one of us. Um, and we will, and we will do our best to make it a little bit better somehow. Uh, but yeah, check out the documentary. Uh, chime in on the, uh, the Facebook group or on the Inner Sanctum, and uh, let's talk about this a little bit. I mean, there's so much to discuss, and I'd love to hear what you guys think about it. Yeah. And with that, it's time for Recovering the News. Yeah. All right. Recovery. Recovery. Recovery.
1: So this article is from the uh, the Huffington Post, and uh, it's entitled "My Sobriety Isn't a Trend or a Monthly Challenge." So we all know this is Dry January, right? Right. You're talking about
0: it everywhere.
1: Everybody goes dry for January.
0: Seems like more lately. I've never seen this much Dry January on standard like news television. You know, like well, it's weird. I think sobriety is becoming uh, a trillion dollar industry. Yes, it's it's oh. considered cool. I saw this. Okay, Al Roker and partner. Okay, they said Dry January. They were announcing it and talking about it, and two of the anchors were doing it, and they said that a non-alcoholic drink market is a 1.6 million, sorry, trillion dollar industry by 2026. It's growing so much, and in fact, uh, a a
1: disparate group of manufacturers of non-alcoholic beers have just recently gotten together to form a. I don't know what you call that, like an industry group or something, because mm. they expect the profits to be so astronomical. Well, so.
0: I think that's a good thing. Like this is when capitalism helps us. You know, they see a need and it's a good one. And they fill it with non-alcoholic
1: beer. I love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so the author says, uh, she says, "I never thought I would live in a time where sobriety is considered cool." Social media has a sea of sober influencers. The non-alcoholic drink scene is thriving even big alcohol is releasing alcohol-free products. I I think I mentioned last week that Budweiser is getting into the game by, by, by dropping a non-alcoholic Budweiser, right? 6.5 million people participated in dry January in 2021. Um, the rising popularity of dry January and sober October paired with folks posting photos of going booze free helps destigmatize substance abuse disorder and the reality of cutting back on binge drinking. Um, and like those folks, the author uh, started her sober journey with uh, a challenge, a thirty-day challenge, um, and she says that while I'm grateful for my sobriety, uh, when I was, I wish I had been more respectful to folks with long-term sobriety when I was in the quote, "Let's try this whole sober thing" phase, um, and that's that's an interesting way of looking at it, you know. Like, however, so. I don't know. I, I I go back and forth in these dry Januaries and sober October's because to me it's like, well, if you if you need if you feel the need to take a month off from drinking, then maybe there's a reason you feel like you need to take a month off from drinking, right? But if it brings you to the point where after that thirty days you then start to question whether or not
0: mm. you're going to go back to drinking, then that's great, right? I think they're they're spinning it. You know, they're trying to like couch it in like. You know, there's health benefits, but they say it very innocently, like, it's no big deal, but... And then uh, they interviewed this uh, person on the show when they were talking about January. They're like, well what are the benefits to not drinking for uh, a month? And then she went into all the obvious ones, you know, Yeah. you know, less chance of cancer, less anxiety, you sleep better, your skin looks better. right? You know, and I said out loud, I said, yeah. And, you know, domestic violence goes down. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, my wife just shot me a glance and I'm like, well, it's true, you know, but that's how they're catching it. Like a health thing, which it is.
1: Yeah. Um, but I mean, where, where she was, right before she quit was a place that I I've remember being very well. Like she couldn't understand why anyone would want to stop drinking yep. or how they spent their lives and time if alcohol wasn't a part of it. Right. Now with six years of sobriety and five years of therapy, she can clearly see why she drank until she blacked out, a clarity that might never have arrived with a round of shots on the table. So she had PTSD from a traumatic event that happened at age 14. Right. Um, but really you do need to, to take that, Clarity, get that moment of, what do they call it, a moment of clarity? But, moment of clarity. Or just clarity in general uh, before you can start to unwind why it was you were drinking in the first place. So to that extent, I guess a 30-day challenge
0: is a, is a great way to, to get started. Yeah, it, it is. And, it, and it, what I like about it is that it draws the attention towards that. like Just like on that show, they're talking about, you know, there are a lot of obvious health benefits that are not controversial to talk about. You know, if you start saying, you know, we want to reduce drunk driving and um, and domestic violence, the people you're telling are going to feel like you're saying that they're, uh, you know, doing these things. You right. Know? And so you can't say, hey, we're going to, you know, reduce domestic violence in dry January, you know. They have to couch it so not to offend people's like sense of themselves, I guess, mm-hmm. because the second you question someone and how much they're drinking, you've seen this. If you've ever said to someone in your life, eh, maybe you should slow down, Yeah, you get this defensive, angry, like, sure. what do you think I am? Right. So, and they immediately begin to defend themselves. I get to work every day on time. Right. I don't beat my kids. I I this I that mm-hmm. and um and so that visceral reaction you know kind of puts up a wall between you them and you know admitting that maybe it would be better if they didn't drink.
1: Yes, and, and you know to that end, the author of this article goes goes into a helpful couple of definitions. That sobriety, she says, is the act of abstaining from a particular substance. Uh, for folks doing a dry month, that substance is usually alcohol. Recovery is figuring out why we go to use that substance in the first place, right?
0: Right, I like Good that. Good
1: distinction. Very. I don't know if I mentioned last week, but I saw a billboard uh, when I was in Philadelphia. Did I talk about this last week? And the billboard said uh, it was an advertisement for Dry January. and it's. Um, and I think it, you mentioned did it. Did I? Say uh, it again. Uh, yeah, um,
0: it said, it's not forever, it's just for 30 days. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know. Yeah, uh, I mean, this is why we try not to think in terms of Forever. When I was first getting sober, my sponsor, I would be talking to him and and I would say things like when I was trying to convince myself and I was trying to be convinced, I'd say, I can't imagine never having a drink again. And they would always say, You don't have to never drink again. You just have to never not drink today. Mm. And then tomorrow, you have to not drink tomorrow. And you take it as it comes, which is why they say, you know, one day at a time. So because thinking of forever, like I don't think to myself, oh man, I got to brush my teeth twice a day for the rest of my life? Right. You know, it sounds daunting. Like, uh, But of course you will, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Uh, or well, I've got to take my blood pressure medication every day for the rest. Of the- well, yeah. But you don't think in those terms. You're like, just what's the best thing for me today? Mm-hmm. And uh, and with that mindset, I think it's a little more uh, easier or it's easier to process.
1: Yeah. Although, I, I don't know. I keep going back and forth on that. Yeah, you, you've you mentioned before that you... Because then you've given yourself an
0: out. Like, I'm just for today, I'm not going to drink. What if you wake up tomorrow and be like, you know what, I'm going to drink today. The people <laughs> need that psychological out because they're nervous. Like, okay, once I do this, I can never go back. And that's going to keep a lot of people out of it. Now, if they're thinking it's just January, maybe they're more inclined to try it. Maybe they feel like things are great. And, you know, I don't know. But don't people make
1: pretty clear decisions in other areas of their life though.
0: I don't know. I you watch know? I see what goes on on the uh parents page on Facebook. <laughs> I don't see a lot of clear decisions being demonstrated. Like
1: oh, I'm going I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to get this degree in 4 years. Like people say that. Yeah, they're
0: capable of it. So right. what So I'm not going to drink for the next 10 years. The problem is How ingrained this goes back to this naked mind, like how brainwashed we are for alcohol as part as like an integral part of the fabric of our society.
1: Yeah, but once I once I understand that, once I go through the book and I understand how I'm being manipulated and all this other stuff, and then I don't want to drink anymore because I don't want to be that way. Mm -hmm. And then I like not drinking.
0: Why can't I say, I'm not gonna drink for another thirty years? Because everywhere you turn there's a commercial of somebody enjoying a drink. But then you remember, like, well, oh, wait, I just said I'm not drinking for the next 30 years. Well, this is the problem. We don't remember. Our brain, and it talks about this in the big book for all you AA people out there, we have a built-in forgetter, it says. I forget where exactly. Well, I mean. where You, you know that we uh, who are struggling with alcohol have this amazing ability to completely forget the last horrible time you had or things, Mm. you know, and and it's miraculous. Even a week or two weeks, you'll still say all you remember is whatever imagined good time you had. See, I don't, my brain doesn't work that way. Good. That's lucky. I I mean, (laughs) I remember it. I remember how shitty
1: it was. Right. And I think, I think if you go through a program like this naked mind or something like it, like smart recovery, where, where you really sit down and you look, and whether alcohol is serving you or you're serving it, you know, then yeah. I think it's easier. You would think because as long as alcohol, as long as you believe that alcohol is still serving you in some capacity, yeah. then you will find a reason to continue using it. Well, we you c- have to believe that alcohol is nothing to you, and that all it does is give you yes. pain and
0: suffering. That's the spiritual awakening, quote unquote, for me. Oh. that's when when it finally dawned on me. You know, because I'm a self doubter. This is what I do. I said I doubt myself and this was no different. Mm. I knew things were bad. I knew it wasn't serving me, you know, drugs and alcohol. But my environment said different. The people in my life, you know, seem to be fine. And you see people on TV and movies and, you know, you think, Oh, having a beer watching football. And you be I began to doubt myself. Like maybe I didn't have this thing correct. Right. Maybe I'm just not doing it correctly and you know, all right, I'll switch to wine or something or, and we talked about that before you're changing seats in the Titanic. Mm. Uh, and so that self doubt comes in like maybe I don't know, or maybe it wasn't so bad. You right. know? And then so, so getting to that point, like we have, you know, through the studies of this naked mind and others, you know, I finally was like, no, I know it's right. They don't realize it's wrong. And once I was comfortable with that, it helped hmm. a lot. Okay. And Let's that, leave it there. And that's recovery in the news. Yeah. And
1: It's time for the week and weird now. Week down. and
0: weird. Week in weird. Today on week and weird, I have to find it. Scientists Train Goldfish to Drive by Tim Banal. Who else? <laughs> Israeli research is... I'm sorry. Is it,
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. What is so funny? It's a goldfish drive. <laughs> like, what
0: What are these scientists doing? They're like smoking a lot of pot. <laughs> I have a great idea. You know, this is what I'm going to train this goldfish. Okay. Israeli researchers studying animal behavior managed to pull off a rather remarkable feat by teaching a goldfish to drive. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) A tiny robotic car. (laughs) Wow. Uh, The intriguing experiment was reportedly the brainchild of scientists from Ben Gurion University who wondered if an animal's (laughs) navigation. Who wondered if an animal's navigational skills were dependent on their environment (laughs) or if these abilities transcend their setting. To put this thought-provoking question to the test, they created a unique vehicle consisting of (laughs) (laughs) a tank of water on
1: wheels. (laughs) With overhead cameras that tracked the movements of the goldfish inside the contraption and then drove in the corresponding direction. Wow, that's
0: some shit. Uh, setting up a system wherein the fish were rewarded... If, <laughs> <laughs> uh, were rewarded if they reached a target placed on a, on a wall in a small room. The Very small room, I'd imagine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, Not only were the goldfish able to successfully navigate the vehicle towards the desired spot, but they were able to discern false targets from the real ones and overcome obstacles that were placed (laughs) in the way of their tiny car. (laughs) Additionally, the animals managed to improve their performance over time, initially needing around 30 minutes to complete the task uh, to eventually, in some instances, pulling it off in less than a minute. Mm. The jaw-dropping experiment scientists say, suggest that the way a fish comprehends its surroundings and navigates within them may be as successful in a terrestrial environment as they are in an aquatic one. Huh. Uh, and that this finding hints at universality in the way space is represented across environments. Wow. Ooh, that takes it back to like crazy science um they also noted that the study proved to be something of a testament to the cognitive ability of goldfish (laughs) right that's good Uh, as the creatures were able to to quote learn a complex task in an environment completely unlike the one they evolved in likening their experience to the challenges humans face when they first try to ride a bike or drive a car and uh i'm so sorry i uh lost my composure on that one. There's a video that goes along with this. Oh, us. shit. What do I do? You played um, the thing. Oh, sorry. Um, there's, a right. vid- there's a companion video that's been posted by Tim Banal <laughs> on Coast right. to Coast AM. Look for the link in the show notes. Uh, I mean, point is, amazing things happening in science. Yes. And amazing things in science. And <laughs> um, driving goldfish. Well, um, I think... <laughs> we can... Scraping the bottom of the barrel... That about does it for today. I know I had a great time. Did you? Uh, it was awesome. Thank you so much for listening. Visit us at middleagesrecovery.com, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, YouTube, and Twitter. So, tweet is a twat, you twit. Uh, shout out to all my twits. Um, <laughs> so, what the fuck was that? That's my hot 97 all right. morning roll call. Um, support your favorite show. Drop a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Um, join our private Facebook, Facebook group. It's Recovering the Middle Ages. Just pop it in the search box and um, and sign up for the uh, group. And on our website, you can buy t-shirts. Yeah, just buy, buy a t-shirt. It's awesome. <laughs> or just write and say hello. Um, join us at the Inner Sanctum on Patreon. It's a private, um, it's therapeutic, you know, it's like a closer-knit, group where right. I think we they recover together. Uh, <laughs> Patreon.com slash Recovery in the Middle Ages. And finally, the best way to help the show is to share it with a friend. If you get something out of our little show, please share the love and help grow the RMA movement. And as we say, non proficiat perfectum. Which apparently may not mean <laughs> progress, not perfection. I think we what, have to
1: tunnel down into that translation.
0: We need some Latin help out there. Yeah. I think if it's progress, not for perfection, I think it's like Progresses non perfectus or something like, like that. Fortunately nobody knows. Oh, but it's on our all our marketing oh, stuff. That's true. It's in our brand. So we're not going to get the Latin scholars. How many of those are following us well, anyway? Those, that's the demographic I'm worried about. <laughs> so <laughs> um, very small. Progress not perfection. Right. See you next time. Bye. Be good.